Welcome to Always Real Talk. I'm Kwame Brown. In our studio, we have Christina Henderson. That's right. Christina is an independent at-large candidate for the city council in the District of Columbia. She is a graduate of Furman University and has a master's from Princeton University. Uh, she has worked for some of the folks on the Hill. That's right. She's worked for Senator Hagan as well as Senator Schumer, as well as she has worked for the New York uh, City Department of Education and the District of Columbia Public School System, as well as she's spent some time, I guess the last couple of years, at the Council of the District of Columbia working for at-large council member David Grosso. She's a member of the AKA Sorority Incorporated, as well as she is a, an alumni of the YMCA's Women's Leadership Council. I want to say welcome, Christina, to Always Real Talk. Thank you for having me. So I want to jump right into it. You're running as an independent uh, for the Council of the District of Columbia. Why you and why now? Yeah, well, thank you so much again for having me. Um, so, you know, I feel like the city is at a crossroads. Um, this particular election, we have about 24 people who are running for two seats. And I'm running because I believe we need a more equitable DC. I believe we need more council members who are focused in on policies that are going to make DC more equitable and sustainable for us all. And I feel like I have a mixture, the right mixture of background and experience and policy um, that offers a, you know, um, an opportunity and a solution for us to move forward in DC at this time. Great. Now, you know, you're running, I think there's about 700 people running. I'm, I'm joking, but clearly there's a number of candidates uh, that are running. What distinguishes you from them? Yeah, I would say probably um, there are maybe one or two other people in this race who can say that they've actually written laws that are currently on the book in the in the District of Columbia. Um, I had the opportunity to work for the council for four years. And in that time, I helped advance over 40 pieces of legislation that are currently law on everything from DCPS school facilities um, to small businesses, to healthcare. Um, and so I think that that brings a valuable experience to the table. I feel like in the conversations I've been having with voters, they are looking for new innovative voices, but they also aren't looking for novices. And so I feel like I bring a right combination of someone who can get started in January, truly working on behalf of the district residents, as opposed to having to learn the rules of the council. Okay. Now, you know, clearly you have a background in education. A lot of your time has been spent from an educational perspective. Um, I want to jump right into a couple of things that I think that you lay out on your campaign as it relates to issues and things that are important to you. What are the top three things that are important to you that if you would become a council member at large here in Washington, D.C., that you would tackle or want to be get involved with right away? I know there's a lot of things. I know there's a lot of issues, but we want to know the top three. The top three issues. Okay, so first and foremost, um, childcare. I feel like childcare is one of those issues in D.C. that is sort of a linchpin to everything else, including our economy. To me, childcare is not just a care issue, it's also a workforce issue. And I feel like we're seeing that with COVID, that we need the government to help step in to bring down the cost for families, expand access and improve quality. So childcare is the number one thing that I would wanna work on. Another thing that is super important to me is increasing access to healthcare 
in particular maternal care in the city. Um, I think, as you know, DC has the highest maternal mortality rate in the country, a rate double the national average, and it is not great for black women. And I experienced firsthand the policy failures that are happening in the city as it relates to maternal care in the city. Um, and, and this is not just from like us not having a full service this hospital east of North Capitol Street, but also in terms of the wait times and availability of people to be able to get in to see doctors. We have to do more in terms of recruiting and retaining more professionals to operate and work here in the district. Um, and, and finally, I think the biggest, uh, uh, not finally, there are a lot of things as you sort of noticed, but another big thing that I wanna work on is public transportation. And this is part of my platform around equitable growth. Um, my father was a New York City bus driver for 29 years. He's now retired. And so, you know, it's almost as though public transportation is kind of pumping in my veins. But when we're talking about the need for a more equitable DC, right now our approach to public transportation is not equitable. The areas in our city that are the most transit dependent in terms of residents are the ones who have the least connectivity, have the least number of bus lines, have the least number of metro stops. And I feel like for so long in our in our city, we have been focusing an inordinate amount of money on rail and not using our money to truly, truly help the DC residents get from point A to point B. Okay, so it, you laid out a couple of different issues, one being uh, childcare, two being public transit, and then uh, uh, three, of course, I think you said something about housing, uh, but I, I wanna jump healthcare. into- Healthcare, healthcare. Yeah. I wanna jump right into it because you have worked on the Hill uh, with, with a couple senators, you've worked uh, in the local municipality here in the District of Columbia with an at-large council member, which represents the entire uh, city. Um, so I want to walk into something that, you know, you will be taking at-large. Mm -hmm. What was one of the first pieces of legislation that you would introduce? Well, I would say one of the first pieces of legislation I would introduce is something that I was actually working on while I was a staffer, and I didn't get to see this actually come into fruition. And it is on childcare. Um, when I talk to childcare owners and business owners around the city and ask them, what is the, what are your expenses like? They'll say, you know, obviously the bulk of what I'm paying for is on people. And then the second thing of the bulk of what I'm paying for is around facilities. And, you know, regulation wise, we require our childcare centers and homes to operate on the first floor of the building. Well, we know that the most expensive, also on the first floor of buildings. We have childcare centers and homes who are having to compete with restaurants and retail. And so one of the first bills that I would wanna introduce, and I would do it first because I wanna tee it up for the budget cycle, is around doing a pilot program to provide high quality childcare centers and homes um, with a facility grant in the same manner that we provide a facility allowance to public charter schools to operate in the district. I feel like if we are able to take um, one of these costs off the table, it could help alleviate the costs that we have for families in those businesses. Now, when it comes to um, childcare, which is extremely important, and I know that we've had the pre-K program and a number of different things in the district that kind of led, led the country, um, you, you mentioned that, which would be required. You also talked about uh, the ability for school modernization and the bill that you worked on uh, to ensure and follow the path to make sure there's equity in terms of how these schools are being modernized, which mm -hmm. they pretty much almost already are, but also mm -hmm. how they're being maintained. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, so 
the bill that you're talking about is called, well, its acronym is the PACE Act. And essentially it came out of, you know, for a long time in the district, and I, I think a lot of your viewers know this, right? How we did school modernizations in the city was entirely political. It was based on whose school community had the space and social capital to uh, come down to the council and lobby. And it didn't go based on the actual condition of the building. And as a result, we have lots of schools in wealthier parts of the city uh, that went first, where schools in some of our low-income areas, um, you know, are still waiting for their modernizations to happen, even though the condition of the buildings would suggest that they probably needed to go first. And so the PACE Act essentially takes the subjective nature out of that. And it, it, it orders our school modernizations based on demand, based on need, and based on the condition of the building. And it's one of um, you know, the bills that I was proud to work on at the council, and I'm proud that it's still um, being followed now. Now, I notice in the background you have you know, little tiny stuff for little tiny people or uh, person. Uh, I, I remember having those. <laughs> I remember having those. Been, they, they, they're gone now, but I remember having them, uh, which, and you're a mom. And, and yes. I always say that because I've, I've always thought as someone who's been an elected official that it's nothing like having a woman on the council that's a mom, especially when it came to education. It just seems it was something about that sense. It was something different um, uh, about the energy, the passion. Not saying that people don't have it. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that, you know, when you wake up every day and you're looking at the future of your child, you, you're making these decisions, right? And you're, you're not yeah. making, everything else is not really there. It's focused on the education of your child. But I wanna jump into education. Do you think we're spending too much money uh, in schools or do you think we need to spend more money and we need to have more money uh, put in education in the District of Columbia? Yeah, no, I don't, I, I would say that I feel like we need additional resources in terms of providing targeted supports to students. One of the things that I'm super supportive of and have been advocating for is increased funding for school-based mental health. Um, I think when you look at our young people across the board, um, our, our young people are hurting, particularly in the COVID environment, right? That has disproportionately impacted black and brown communities in DC. So you have young people who have been, first off, you, you pulled me out of school, right? I, I don't get to see my friends anymore. I don't get to see that familiarity. I'm at home. Uh, my, my parents might be experiencing some sort of economic hardship, which is now meaning that we're experiencing a hardship in terms of food security. We're experiencing a hardship in terms of housing security. Um, and then I am also experiencing the other pieces of death in my family, death in my community, either from COVID or violence or otherwise. And so I just feel like, um, you know, a lot of the research talks about if you want a child to be able to excel um, and to achieve to their highest potential, we cannot pretend that the only the only thing that they are walking into school with in their backpack is just books. They are carrying so much more. And I feel like schools are a great place for us to be able to address some of those concerns, address some of those traumas so that students can sit down and pay attention to doing their math lesson or whatever it is. Um, but that requires money. So, and so I feel like as a, as, a, as a city, we have to decide what are our priorities. Um, and, you know, to what you said, right, I, I feel like having I, my daughter is 17 months and it definitely gave me a fire in terms of a sense of urgency about wanting to see this city work better for the next generation. But I would also, you know, say that there are a lot of people in this city who care very, very deeply about young people who don't have children, who also see 
the future of their city in these in these lives. And so investing in children, investing in these types of critical services for them is always going to be a priority for me. Absolutely. So let me um, so that's clearly area you want to focus on, clearly area yeah. you want to 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 uh, tackle. You want to tackle the ability for child care, more grants, uh, more uh, bills geared towards credits and other things that will provide relief for those who want to have daycare centers and operate daycare centers in the District of Columbia. And then you have a transit. You said transit was something that was mm -hmm. important to you. How yeah. so and what would you do uh, to address that issue? Yeah. So I feel like public transportation is one of those things where if it were more reliable and more consistent, people would use it. <laughs> right. Like, uh, I, you know, being in D.C. for so long, there was always the joke about the red line. The red line always had issues. The red line always had problems. Right. And so people just feel like they go in other different directions. And I feel like in this COVID environment, we cannot afford as a city for everyone to go back to driving their own personal vehicles out of a feeling of safety. We can't handle that from an environmental perspective, and we certainly can't handle that from a traffic and congestion perspective. And so we have to do better on the public transportation side. That includes, you know, developing bus lanes. And in some cases, we might have to give up on-street parking to make that happen. But the bus lanes we you know- You want to give up more parking? You want to give up more parking, more bus lanes? Uh, I'm just, look, it's nothing you're going to do. Like it's nothing that anyone's going to do to get my wife out of a car and take the metro to Harris Teeter. It's not going to happen, right? So you live in certain yeah. parts of the city. That's not going to happen. It's not real, right? Um, if you can't, if you can't even can barely drive home and be safe, what makes you think you're going to be able to walk to your bus stop and be safe, and then go somewhere and get groceries and come back? So there are a couple but things. But I feel we like have this is all. That's I feel real like this talk. Is all connected. It's all connected, right? And, and I am, I'm a believer of where it makes sense for the neighborhood. So I used to live in Shaw on 7th Street, right across from Howard University Hospital. And in that corridor there, you would have um, the 90 buses that were usually accordion style trying to sneak up that. You would have the Howard University buses trying to go through there. You would have the ambulances trying to go through there. You would have the cars trying to go through there. You would have the delivery trucks for the businesses double parked outside and so, and then you have people trying to park. That created a traffic nightmare to one, which you would say, perhaps we should take out parking here so that our flow of traffic would actually work better. Well, I mean, I think there's certain areas that clearly right. that that would work. And that's, and that's what you're saying. I wanna, yeah. I wanna get back to right now, we're dealing clearly with COVID-19, which has affected so many businesses in the District mm -hmm. of Columbia. And not only that, they affected contractors, they affected people that are doing subcontracting work, small businesses, restaurants, uh, just they're, they're feeling it. They're feeling it hard. Um, I didn't see anything on your website that addressed how we're going to deal with making sure that we keep businesses in the District of Columbia and what are we going to do to make that happen? Yeah, um, I, I mean, there, there are a number of if I put every issue on the website, the website would be like multiple, multiple pages well, that's, long. And but, that's, that's, and that's why I'm, I'm asking the question because it yeah. may not be on the website, but you may have an answer for it. So what, what people want to know is how are you going to do, we know the education, that's where mm -hmm. you are. We know that some, but what are you going to do to drive the economy that's going to be able to actually help businesses grow, help mm -hmm. revenue grow to pay for some of the things that you, that you want to get done? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that with the small businesses, uh, a, a first step for me is having a conversation in terms of what the industry is looking for and what they really need right now. And there are two things that are, we hear come up. One is around property taxes and the other is around um, rent in terms of their facilities. And so I feel like in terms of the COVID environment, DC government really needs to step up in terms of we cannot rely on the federal government to just solve all of our issues in terms of helping support our businesses. We might need to develop our own local paycheck protection program that provides a little bit more capital to our businesses to float them until they get to a point where they're okay. But also us thinking more innovatively and outside of the box to help our support our businesses during this time. Uh, I'm an avid live music lover. Um, I love going to concerts and things like that. And I'm deeply concerned about some of our, you know, venues around the city in terms of how are they going to survive through this moment until we finally get to a place where we can have more than 250 people in a venue. And I think in that case, as a council member, I would be wanting to work with DCRA and the Department of Parks and Rec around, okay, can we bring some of these um, artists and activities outdoors so that you know, our businesses can continue to ge generate revenue in the same manner that we have done for restaurant industries where we have closed down streets and, you know, allowed restaurants to sort of move outdoors. But I think it's going to take a complete concerted effort um, and not just on the part of support, but also in terms of how we raise revenue. There are a lot of candidates in this race who've been talking about raising business taxes, and I just don't necessarily feel like that's smart at this point. Our businesses are hurting. Our businesses are the bulk of our revenue. And so to tax them while they're down, you know, it just seems, uh, it doesn't seem fully thought out. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that because it's, it's, it's very important because what people want to know is that are you going to tax businesses? You know, are you going to tax the, the wealthy? How are you going to get the additional, like no one wants to pay more money for speeding tickets. We don't need right. any more speed cameras in the District of Columbia, right? Right. And people only stop speeding when they see the camera. And other than that, we spend so much money on collecting this revenue and you're never gonna get it back, right? It's just a, it's just a tax for residents. Mm -hmm. That's just how I feel. It's just an extra tax, speed cameras everywhere. And if you mm -hmm. remove the speed cameras, you can't, right? Because it's a revenue stream. So you have yes. to fill that hole. So they're never mm -hmm. gonna go anywhere. Um, but so you have to raise revenue in order to pay for some of the stuff or you have to reallocate revenue. So let's, mm -hmm go through both of those real quick. If yeah. you had to raise additional revenue to fund some of your projects, you've been a legislator, so you know the process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What would one of those be? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to look in terms of all options. I would certainly be open to a modest increase in terms of income taxes on our wealthiest of residents um, to generate some of the revenue to ensure that we do not have to cut critical services. Um, I think we also need to look at, you know, smaller things that may not you know, generate millions and millions of dollars, but every little bit helps, uh, like reciprocity parking ticket or parking permits, which are not DC residents, right? These are people who vote elsewhere, <laughs> pay taxes elsewhere, and we charge them pennies to be able to park in our city um, in comparison to what we do for residents and others like that. But I think the real conversation, and it's going to be really difficult for the council, is we can't do everything right now. 
right? We're going to have to make these really difficult decisions in terms of how do we continue to fund the critical services that are necessary, especially for our residents in need? And what are the things that we have to wait a couple of years until our economy is back? And I feel like we need to be able to be very honest with DC residents in terms of what the true financial outlook is on our city, because frankly, I'm just not of the belief that we can just tax our way out of our problem. I don't so, think that. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting because, you know, some would think that you are, you know, on the super liberal side of the aisle, like you're just way over in left field and, and want to tax them. And that's, you know, what people want to know. So that was my question. The second one was you have studied government, federal government, local government. Um, you've been on the council. That means you had an opportunity to go through budget cycles. You've had an opportunity to go to performance hearings. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you seen anything within the government itself that we could cut, that we could reduce? Are we, you know, we, are we not spending the money in the way that we should? I mean, you're going to be on the council. You've been there. Yeah. What are you going to do or what would be some things that you would say, you know, maybe we could reallocate this money? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely where it's something that I'm interested in for the council. There are a lot of people who are running about new initiatives and I want to get back to doing the persistent and consistent oversight that's necessary. There are lots of different agencies where I feel like we could have efficiencies in terms of, are we duplicating offices? Um, you know, for instance, and, and this didn't go through, but right. So the mayor did propose this new office of creative affairs. But when you look at the duties, it seemed very similar to the DC Commission on Arts and Humanities. And yet we are building out an entirely new office of new budget and revenue and those kinds of things. And so I think we could ask these questions of, is that necessary? But another thing that I would wanna be looking at is for the federal, you know, for the federal grant dollars that we do receive as a DC, you know, a DC government agency, state, city, federal, you know, district, are we spending those appropriately? I mean, you know this, like we for years would spend, send back millions of dollars to the federal government because we didn't spend the money at Department of Employment Services or we didn't spend the money at healthcare finance in the proper way. Um, and I feel like these are the types of over, we're gonna need to get back to oversight if we're gonna increase our efficiencies in terms of what we're doing. Um, I mean, I, I want your viewers to sort of walk away and feeling like, yes, I'm a progressive, but I am a pragmatic progressive. And it's be partly because of my years having worked in the DC council and worked in the DC government and knowing that sometimes you have to compromise. Sometimes you have to go to, you have to count your votes, right? But also it has to work on the other end. We have to be able to implement what we're doing, but also protect the financial sustainability of this government and this city going forward. When I talk about sustainability, it's not just about climate. It's not just about infrastructure. It is also about the finances of our government as well. So let me um, go move to my next question and point was, when you look mm -hmm. at the ability to, you know, move big pieces of legislation, right? And you, you've been there for a while. Everyone talked about marijuana and it was good and everybody wanted to pass marijuana. We're going to get tagged. I mean, it's just weed, 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 weed. I call it weed. You call it marijuana, you call it cannabis, call it whatever you want to to make it look sexy. But, mm -hmm. you know, when black people were doing it, it was called weed. 
right? And now it's called cannabis, right? And um, everyone's like smoking because most people wanted to get high and they didn't want to get, you know, caught and locked up or get a record. So they just made it legal. So now it's legal. And they wonder why all these kids are running around here smoking weed and everyone's smoking weed. Go outside my office building right here on 8th Street, it's weed everywhere. People ask me, I want to, want to buy some weed? Want to buy some weed? I'm like, what the heck is going on with the weed, right? What are some of the big pieces of legislation that you want to tackle? Name one that's big that you say, you know what, when I get there, I'm going to tackle this. This is what I'm hearing from voters, and I'm going to tackle this. My name is going to be associated with what? What is Christina Henderson? Because some people may not know you, and a lot of people may not know you. This is your opportunity to say, what are you going to tackle? What are you going to be known for if you get an opportunity uh, to be uh, on the council? And if you don't, because you're still going to be Christina regardless, mm -hmm. what is that? Yeah. I mean, there are lots of different things that I'm hoping to attach my name to, but you're making me pick just one. And one of the big things that I think that we have to take care of in this city is in terms of how we address food deserts, right? We have had a grocery store supermarket tax incentive credit in this city since 2000. And for those of you who don't know, essentially it's designed to attract businesses to come into areas in terms of food deserts. And it's worked for certain parts of the city. H Street is one of them, right? Where you can go from a giant to a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, Hair Seed, all of these things right there. And yet still in wards seven and eight, we only have three grocery stores serving over 160,000 residents. Somehow we have not figured out in this city how to put together a targeted incentive package to to attract businesses to come over there. Um, and not just doing that, that's part of it, but also what I'm hearing from a lot of residents is that there are lots of young entrepreneurs in our community themselves who need a little bit of startup capital by, by, by want to do a co-op approach in terms of a grocery store in their community, who might want to provide a corner store that's doing fresh produce and, and grocery stores and things like that. And so I, I, one of the things that I wanna be known for as a council member is thinking outside of the box but to address some of these long-standing equity issues that have existed in our city for years. You know, we often hear from council members when they go to Las Vegas that, oh, you know, we talk to the companies and they're not really interested in coming to Ward 7 and 8 for X, Y, or Z reason. Well, you are the representative of the city. And so as your job as our policymaker and as our leader is to change the narrative, shift the narrative. What would it look like for DC council to put a package together with the mayor's office that says, okay, X business, we will put aside X amount of money into an escrow account. And after two years of you operating in this location that we want you, um, if you have losses, we will cover it. I don't well, know if that's well, even, I think, you know. I think, I think we've kind of done that before in some areas and people just came and guess what they did? They took a loss and then they left. They, what they did is they said, okay, you want to do it for free? And they said, okay, I'll come anywhere for free. And then, you know, they do what they have to do, then they're gone. But I do, do think you are talking about like Skyland, even though you pass it, the real question is, it's still not, it's up, it's starting to come up now, it's really not there. I mean, right. look, no, built, Skyland was one I, of those things. I have things. a very specific question for you because you will okay. be on the council. We have built a baseball stadium, we have built the Navy Yard, we have built uh, the, the, the old convention center site, downtown city center, we have built a soccer stadium, we have, uh, we have built, you know, uh, Fort Lincoln, and mm -hmm. we still don't have Skyland done, right? So we, we've modernized, you know, 70, 80, 90% of the schools. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. still can't figure out how to get Skyland done. So, I mean, every council says, oh, I'm going to get there. And I, and I know because I've been there. And I'm going to do this, but you're only one person. 
So when you mm -hmm. get on a council and you have to then negotiate with the people that actually represent those wards, and then you have to <laughs> negotiate with all the rest of the members and then go negotiate with the administration, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, how are you pre prepared and plan to do that? Yeah. Well, so I feel like the role of an at-large council member is to support and back up board council members. They should not have to be the ones who are handling all of the issues for their particular community. Their constituents are my constituents as well. And so I would look to partner with council member White and, and council member Gray to advance this. You have an ally in me in terms of the work that we're doing forward, but then it's also about relationship building. So I've worked on the council. I've worked with almost every council member except for Brooke Pinto because she's new. And I have worked with them to advance some pretty difficult pieces of legislation where you have to go to every office and, and appeal to them in the manner that works for them, right? There are some council members who like stories. There are some council members who like data. <laughs> And I feel like this is a part of the policy making process. And I think this is where my experience comes in value, not just my experience working at the council, but in my day job, you know, working in the Senate, corralling a caucus that spans from Bernie Sanders to Joe Manchin is not easy. Um, but you learn to talk to people and you learn to appeal to what they need so that they can see the larger vision um, and hopefully move in your right direction. And so I think for me, I will never be afraid to have a conversation with someone. We may not always agree on the issue, but that won't carry over to the next one, right? We, we could start fresh and have a debate on something new, but they're gonna know that when I come to the table, I've done my research and that I have done the work so that we have a productive conversation to move it forward. And hopefully, you know, I earn and get their vote and get them on my side of where we need to go. All right, so here we go. Now we have uh, five different questions, agree okay. or disagree, right? There's no you know, give me, you know, your thoughts. I don't want your thoughts. Just want to agree or disagree. Let's go. Here they go. School okay. choice. Yes. School choice. Yes. Okay. Eliminating, or, eliminating the gun laws. Getting rid of guns. Is, getting rid of gun laws. Disagree no. or disagree? <laughs> disagree. Tax the wealthy. Agree. Mayor Bowser doing a good job. A fair job, yes. I said good job. A fair job, yes. <laughs> Defund the police. Um, these are really difficult as a yes, disagree, because these are all nuanced um, things. But yes, I agree. Well, Christina, I want to thank you. See, campaigning is not easy, uh, but I want to thank you. There we have it. We have Christina uh, Henderson. She's running for the at-large council seat in Washington, D.C. as an independent. Uh, I do have one final question for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you have worked for Democratic senators uh, and now you're running as an independent and you've been a Democrat pretty much all your life. Mm -hmm. uh, why are you running as an independent? Are you just running for the seat or why are you running as an independent? Well, I think there's a little bit of protest here, right? As you know, the Congress is the one that says that at least two seats of the council have to be reserved for someone not of the majority party. The district residents get, didn't get a chance to do that. Um, but even though I've been a Democrat and I've been registered as a Democrat, I think from our conversation here, people can sort of feel that I am an independent thinker. 
Um, I do my research. I try to present um, a common sense approach to policymaking and one that advances equity. And so, yes, I'm running as an independent for this seat. And I hope that uh, for your your viewers, I can be one of their two votes um, come this November. Okay. Well, there you have it, Kristen, Christina Henderson. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. If it's always real talk, you know it's going to be real. Mm -hmm.